0: Chapter nine of his first and last appearance by Francis J. Finn SJ This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, recording by Maria Therese. Chapter nine The CONCERT The Face at the Window and the Mystery of the Overcoats The Chances, as Philip had informed Mr Dunn, were staying at a boarding house situated between tenth and eleventh on Sycamore Street. It was kept by Mrs. Downing. The house for many years had abounded in lodgers but owing to certain changes in the management of the chicago milwaukee and st paul railway it had been left to comparative solitude just a few days before our friends reached milwaukee on the morning of their arrival mrs downing chanced to be going down sycamore as it happened she came face to face with isabel on the outskirts of the tiny park which fronts the station mrs downing was attracted by isabel's face she observed on taking a second glance the girl's air of perplexity and at once asked whether she could be of any service. Mrs. Downing began with an act of charity, and ended with a stroke of business. But we must not wrong her. The good lady was from the first a friend rather than a landlady, and Isabel was in luck. She could have traversed Milwaukee from the east side to the west side without meeting a kinder a more sympathetic hostess. Mrs. Downing at once warmed to the children. She cared for them as though they were her own and Isabel, accordingly, was free to come and go as she pleased, knowing that Philip and Charlie and Marie were in good hands. "'Well, what luck, Isabel,' asked Mrs. Downing, as she met Isabel and Philip on their return. "'I've had none, Mrs. Downing, but Philip has had plenty.' "'Look at this, Mrs. Downing,' cried Philip, ceasing to bawl for Marie and Charlie, and he exhibited, to her delighted gaze, the boxes of candy and the shining silver dollar." while mrs downing was holding up her hands in delight down like a wolf on the fold came marie and charlie shrill cries gurgles of joy and a great scramble followed at once but philip held manfully to his prizes stop your scraping will you he cried or you'll get no candy isabel restored peace by taking possession of the boxes herself and promising a fair distribution after supper whereupon out of hand all three clamored for that simple meal In the interest of law and order, Mrs. Downing rang the supper-bell, and quickly all were seated at table. Much to the kind woman's concern, very little was eaten. Isabel, as Mrs. Downing noticed, practically ate nothing. Mrs. Downing watched her furtively. How nervous the girl was getting! She started at the slightest unusual noise, and her fingers were never quiet. Since reaching the house, she had not taken one hearty meal— though she made pretense of eating as well as the others on this particular evening however isabel was not fasting alone philip for reasons obvious to the reader of chapter the second was not hungry charlie and marie were so wrought up by visions of candy that they would not could not indeed bring themselves to consider lamb chops potatoes and plain bread and butter so there was little eating and much chattering All of the chances had sweet voices and, as they laughed and chattered, they reminded one of a festive gathering of nightingales. Supper, accordingly, was dispatched with a speed which was positively distressing to Mrs. Downing. Then came the candy distribution, and a diffusion of happiness which set the little ones bubbling over with joy. When the enthusiasm, natural to so pleasant an occasion, had abated somewhat, and when Philip had eaten all the candy he felt quite equal to, he once more related his afternoon's adventure, laying as was to have been expected of him but little emphasis on his singing of noel mrs downing showed some excitement when he mentioned the name of mr john dunn mr john dunn she repeated did you say mr john dunn why we all know him he's a bachelor but no matter he's one of the leading parishioners of the jesu everybody likes him he's a very good man and belongs to the upper ten he doesn't go into society much but when he does he goes in the best society, and—here she glanced impressively at Isabel—he's a bachelor, too. Mrs. Downing was somewhat disconcerted by the indifference with which Isabel received this last statement. "'Certainly, from what Philip says, he must be a nice man,' remarked Isabel impersonally. "'Didn't he look a little sad, Philip?' inquired the lady of the house. "'Well, yes, he did.' "'but when he did smile it was worth while looking at him. "'Poor fellow,' apostrophized Mrs. Downing. Twenty years ago he was the jolliest youngster of twenty-one in town. "'But they do be saying that the girl he was engaged to jilted him, "'and he's never been the same man since. "'He is just as good, though. "'I see him going to communion every week. "'He is kind and nice and gentle, "'but his high spirits are all gone. "'I should like to meet him.' Said Isabel sympathetically, He must be a very beautiful character. People who grow kind and gentle under great suffering are worth meeting. You've been kinder and gentler since Mamma died, Isabel, put in little Marie, catching her sister's hand and drawing it to her breast. Dear heart, cried Mrs. Downing, while Isabel, to conceal her emotion, hid her face in embracing the little girl. Dear heart, what pretty things she do say. Suppose we go in the parlor and have some music, suggested Isabel, desirous of changing the subject. It's just what I was going to ask, cried Mrs. Downing, clapping her hands. Never since I've been in this house, and I've been here this eighteen year and more, never had I had such lovely evenings. I was born in the country, Mum," she added, addressing herself to Isabel, and I used to love to be waked up in the early spring mornings by the songs of the birds. Ah, indeed it's one of the nicest things i remember and when you and the little ones get to singing after supper it's like enchantment i hear the little birds and i am a little girl again and i see my mother feeding the chickens in the yard and my father going out with the horses and i see my brothers and sisters they're all dead save one sister god rest their souls and i hear them laughing and talking but above all I hear the pretty birds singing their prettiest right above the apples and peach blossoms, and it's all so lovely. Philip, Marie, and Charlie had not waited to listen to this address. They had already danced into the parlour, and were busy getting the music for the occasion. Charlie, the baby of the family, did not think good, on such occasions, to sing along with the others. Now and then, indeed, he would contribute for a short phrase or passage the music of his voice always with great complacency, as though he realized that his help made distinctly for the success of that particular measure. But, while he was not singing, it should not be inferred that he was idle. Oh, no! Armed with an ebony baton, once, it was said, the property of his father, Master Charlie would beat the time with all the airs and graces of Mr. Philip Sousa, whom, by the way, he had watched closely and admiringly on five several occasions. When Isabel entered, a hot dispute was raging. "'We're going to sing Bishop's hunting song,' asserted Philip. "'No, we're not,' contradicted Marie. "'We're going to have sunrise, where you bring in the song of the birds.' "'You always want to have your own way,' growled Philip. "'I never saw such a girl as you, Marie.' "'I think we'd better sing the Mocker Bird, and let Philip play He's a Mocker Bird,' put in the very small boy, giving Philip and Marie, with perfect impartiality, a light poke in the ribs with his baton. "'You just keep out of this, Charlie,' said Marie loftily. "'Little children should be seen and not heard. "'It isn't right for us to be fussing.' "'You began the scrapping yourself,' retorted Philip. "'I didn't. You did. "'Both of you began it,' asserted the small director. "'Well, well, dears.' said Isabel gently, but with authority, quarreling again. Marie, you should try to be a lady. But ladies do not raise their voices and talk sharply. And besides, you're the oldest. You must set a good example. What's the trouble? Marie explained at length. While she was speaking, one of the windows facing on Sycamore Street rattled in the sash. Hello, what's that? exclaimed Philip, running to the window. Oh, Isabel! He cried, jumping back suddenly. Come quick! There's a man at the window. Isabel was at his side in an instant, and together they peered out into the darkness. Why, Philip, I see nothing. Neither do I, now, said the boy. But I saw a man's face there just now. Are you sure, dear? Well, I think I did. The window through which they were straining their eyes looked out upon a tiny lawn which sloped down for a length of twelve or fifteen feet to the sidewalk. There was no fence, and so, Isabel reflected, it was not improbable that some passer-by, attracted by the pretty sound of children's voices, had taken the liberty of looking in. And yet it was not an auspicious night for the gratification of people who peep. The snow was still falling heavily, and the ground was covered by a white coat several inches thick. From Grand Avenue, just one square beyond, came occasionally the silvery jingle of sleigh bells, sweet punctuation marks which gave agreeable pauses to the snowy silence of the night. Well, Philip, it really doesn't matter much, only I hope that if there was a man there he didn't hear you talking rudely to your sister, what would mamma have said if she heard you? Philip hung his head. Let's sing the song Marie proposed, he suggested softly and then phil we can sing yours too added marie radiantly we'll fing all free piped the director and as he said so was it to be done mrs downing while all this was going on had slipped into the kitchen and given a hurried message to her maid of all work who throwing a shawl about her head went out into the night to give notice to some of the neighbours that there was to be a strictly private parlour concert and that, provided they made no noise, and gave the chances no hint of their presence, they were welcome to attend. Before the first of these invited guests had stolen softly into the dining-room, where the lights had been discreetly lowered, a pretty tableau was formed in the parlor. Isabel took her place at the piano, her stool turned somewhat toward the left, where, facing her with a pair of spectacles on his little nose, after the manner of Susa, the glasses were plain, stood Charlie, his legs wide apart, the baton high in the air, and the free hand raised to command attention. Charlie was persuaded that the singing would come to little or not without his clever leadership. Philip and Marie, their hands behind their backs and standing quite erect, awaited with their eyes fast and most respectfully upon the spectacle leader. "'Shh,' he whispered. Down came the baton, and forthwith Isabel played the lively prelude, which introduces Bishop's hunting song." It was remarkable how accurately the little fellow beat the time more remarkable still how each and gesture of his body gave interpretation to the spirit of every phrase a portentous nod with a great flourish of hand and baton sent the two children facing him into the melody philip carried the ear marie the alto part while isabel as she accompanied filled in with rich and rare low tones as the director of some orchestra is content, for the most part, to allow the musicians under him to do the instrumental work, but at times, especially in the fortissimo passages, takes up his instrument and lends a powerful note to the volume of sweet sound, so Charlie, silent yet inspiring, dumb yet expressive, would now and then, when the passages grew stronger, break into a childish treble and add what he certainly considered a new beauty to the rare sweetness of the three voices. Truly, they were, indeed, a nest of nightingales. "'You directed the song excellently,' said Isabel at the end. "'Didn't I?' cried the young director, removing his glasses and bowing toward the dining-room to his imaginary audience. Not quite so imaginary as he supposed. "'I'll do better in the next. Philip, when I set my eyes, it's a sign that you sing soft.' "'All right, Mr. Director,' said Philip meekly. "'And Marie!' keep still when you sing only the director moves yes mr director charlie resumed his glasses beat with his baton upon the piano for attention and having satisfied himself that all were in position motioned them into sunrise the nightingales did not follow the score as it stood printed when they came to the part merry joyous birds happy joyous birds sing their sweetest lay to usher in the day philip abandoning the air to the director began to trill and quaver in his highest register with such art that despite the snow that was falling and the wind that was wailing the listeners were transported to the lands where snow and ice and all things bleak are unimaginable for the moment and out of its time sweet spring had come again the audience within unable to contain itself when the song died away broke into applause the nightingales were startled and isabel jumped from her piano stool and there is no knowing what interval of awkwardness would not have ensued had not an unexpected diversion wholly changed the situation look cried a man bursting from the dining room and pointing toward the window quick as thought isabel who was still meditating on the previous apparition turned and for the briefest imaginable time saw a face against the pane at the moment a sleigh was passing the house, and its lighted lanterns brought out the face in bold relief. Dark glasses concealed the eyes, a heavy slouch hat came down over the forehead, and a fierce moustache and a fiercer beard lent to the expression the note of savageness. That face would give the painter an ideal anarchist. It was gone, vivid just now, then gone completely, like a flash of light. The man who had discovered the apparition reached the window a moment later, and throwing up the sash leaped out. Twenty years have I been here, cried Mrs. Downing with clasped hands. And never a thief nor a burglar came to this house till tonight. Did you see the face, Philip? asked Isabel eagerly. Yes, it was the face I saw just a few minutes ago. Strange, she murmured. He looked savage, didn't he? pursued Philip. I think dear that his eyes were fastened on you what a savage-looking man the audience now came forward and what with thanking isabel for the concert and with assuring her that there was nothing to fear and that music such as they had listened to would bring even a fiji islander to the window left the girl and the little ones quite brave and resolute after this double shock the man who had given chase returned as the company was making its adieu but he had nothing to tell the owner of the strange face had disappeared, and left no trace that could be followed. However, the adventures of that night were not yet ended. The little ones had just given Isabel the good-night kiss, and were on their way up the staircase when the doorbell rang out loudly. Philip, Marie, and Charlie, the latter of whom had been rubbing his eyes for the last quarter of an hour, became at once very wide awake, and paused on the stairs to see the outcome of the noisy ring. Mrs. Downing opened the door— A small boy with a very white coat and a very red nose, the one color caused by the snow, the other by the cold, handed her a package. "'For Mr. Philip LaPlante, no charges paid,' he said quickly, and tore down the steps. "'For me?' cried Philip, leaping down the stairway, three steps at a time. "'What is it?' Isabel handed the package to her brother. "'Suppose you open it yourself, dear?' How nice Isabel could be! Philip made short work of the wrappings. Hurrah! he said. It's an overcoat! Say, Isabel, mayn't I go out and try how it feels? Suppose, dear, you try it on where you are. Isabel assisted him into the coat, which, as it happened, fitted him perfectly, wondering the while who could have sent it. As Philip turned to contemplate himself in the hat-rack mirror, Isabel noticed an envelope protruding from the upper left hand pocket. Philip, she said, perhaps that letter in your pocket will tell you something. The boy pulled out the letter and scanned the superscription. It's got my name on it, he said. Philip LeChance. And, Isabel, what's that word in the corner that begins with an A? Isabel took the letter and read, Master Philip LeChance, addressed. Shall I open it, dear, and read it to you? continued Isabel. Please, yes, Isabel. Why, she exclaimed, here's Mr. Dunn again. This letter is signed by Mr. John Dunn. Oh, goody! cried Marie, who had already taken Mr. Dunn on faith. Are you listening, children? There could be no doubt as to the purport of their answer. Well, here's the letter. My dear Philip, I trust that your good sister, Isabel, will not think me impertinent in taking the liberty of sending you an overcoat. I want to give you a little gift in payment for the song you sang. No number of coats could repay you for all you did for me. That song of yours brought Christmas home to me as it never came home to me since I was a young man of twenty-one. It gave me an idea. That idea, I hope, will make the coming Christmas for me and my friends one of the brightest, best, and holiest we have ever celebrated." just after leaving you a telegram called upon me to leave milwaukee to-night on business which will keep me from the city for several days i regret sincerely that i cannot call on your sister if i could speak to her and show not tell her how i felt about that christmas song i know she would not be hurt at what on the face of it seems to be a bit of boldness i hope to be allowed to see you and miss isabel on my return and to be permitted at a day that is not i trust far off to sign myself gratefully your friend John Donne. May I keep the coat, Isabel? It would be churlish to refuse it, Philip, in the light of that letter. Hurrah! shrilled the soprano. While Marie and Charlie, now perfectly wide awake, were admiring Philip, who started proud as a peacock up and down with his head very high and his chest thrust out, there came another ring of the bell. Good gracious! cried Mrs. Downing, who had confined herself to interjections the past hour. "'What's going to happen next?' and she threw open the door. This time it was a man who confronted her. "'An overcoat for Mr. Philip Lachance. There are no charges.' "'Hold on,' cried Isabel, darting forward. "'Please tell me whom it's from and who ordered it.' "'It's from Browning King and Company. I was ordered to say that the sender wanted his name kept secret.' As the door closed upon the man... Isabel and Mrs. Downing looked at each other in speechless amazement. "'Well, I never,' gasped the elderly lady. "'There's been more queer things happening here to-night than I can understand. There's the man who frightened you at the window, and Philip says he was there before, and then there's one overcoat that we can account for, and then there's another overcoat that we can't account for. Why, it's all surprises.' "'Mrs. Downing,' said Isabel, in tones so low, the children could not hear her i am beginning to get afraid there must be something wrong be sure to lock everything to-night oh i wish i were braver sure you're as brave a girl as ever i saw but you are nervous my dear there is no need to be frightened take a good sleep to-night and to-morrow morning you will laugh at yourself for the way you feel now philip having taken off mr dunn's overcoat and put on the second now presented himself to be admired. "'It's a nice one, too,' he remarked. "'Which do you want, dear?' Philip removed his latest outer garment, and having examined it from every point of view, laid it aside. Then he turned to his first love. "'It's a nice one, too. Say, I'd like to go out and try it.' "'Which do you want, dear?' "'Look,' he said, taking it off and turning the inside toward his sister, SEE THAT BLUE FLAG? YES, DEAR. WHAT IS THAT READING UNDER IT? THE SIGN OF THE BLUE FLAG. THAT'S THE COAT FOR ME. IT COMES FROM MR. DUNN, AND IT'S THE COLOR OF THE BLESSED VIRGIN. Isabel, BUT A MOMENT BEFORE HAD BEEN STRANGELY APPREHENSIVE FOR THE BOY, BUT NOW SHE PLUCKED UP FRESH HEART OF GRACE. THE BLESSED MOTHER, SHE THOUGHT, WILL NOT SUFFER HER LITTLE CHILD TO FALL INTO ANY REAL DANGER. End of chapter 9